another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of In the Matter of D, a Child, and the citation for this case is 2019 UKSC 42. Now, the child at the heart of this case unfortunately has a number of medical issues, including Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD, Asperger's Syndrome, Tourette's Syndrome, and a mild learning disability. At the age of 14, he was taken to a hospital that was able to provide mental health services. In fact, he was able to live at the hospital grounds and even attended a school that was associated with the mental health unit. It is important to note, however, that this was a secure facility, and so the door leading outside remained locked, and whenever Dee did leave, he was accompanied by a responsible member of staff. This obviously amounted to a deprivation of liberty, and the hospital trust were keen to confirm that the action they were taking was lawful. In the High Court, Mr Justice Kean held that while Dee was under the age of 16, it was within the proper exercise of parental responsibility for his parents to consent to this deprivation of liberty. That's all well and good, but the obvious follow-up question is what should happen when Dee turns 16, and that is the issue at the heart of this case. By the time that he turned 16, Dee had actually been discharged from the hospital and was now living in a residential placement. Nevertheless, the conditions were pretty much the same as he was under constant supervision and was not allowed to leave the premises. With that in mind, a declaration was sought from the Court of Protection, along the same lines as what we just described. In other words, while Dee was older than 16, but not yet an adult, is it within the proper exercise of parental responsibility for his parents to consent to the deprivation of his liberty? For Justice Kean, the parents were not able to consent to such a deprivation of liberty, and so instead the relevant provisions of the Mental Capacity Act 2005 now applied. Although the placement was still authorised under the Mental Capacity Act, the council appealed the decision to the Court of Appeal, and that court found that the parents could indeed consent. With the case in the balance, proceedings headed to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick them up. Lady Hale's lead judgment first of all examines the historical balancing act which is at play here. In the past, there was much greater focus in the law on protecting the control that parents had over what their children did. However, over time, things changed, and the emphasis on control shifted towards greater consideration of the actual welfare of the child. Alongside this is the idea of Gillick competence that derives from the 1986 case of Gillick and West Norfolk and Wisbeach Area Health Authority. This is quite a famous case in medical law circles, but if you don't know it, it basically just says that as a child gets older, they can obtain the intellectual capacity and understanding to be able to make their own decisions even before the age of 18. Unfortunately, in this case, Gillick is not directly relevant because Dee does not have sufficient understanding to make his own decisions, and it is very possible that he never will do. Nevertheless, this case, alongside other parts of the common law and even a number of statutory provisions, do clearly indicate that persons in the age range of 16 and 17 years old do have something of a special status. Putting this special status to one side just for a moment, The justices also gave consideration to the human rights implications of this case, and in particular Article 5, which is the right to liberty. 
To start off with, these living arrangements are compared by the court with the general living arrangements you would expect of a child who is the same age but does not have those disabilities. It is pretty clear that D is subject to a great deal more supervision, but for human rights purposes the fact that this was in his best interests cannot detract from the point that this was still ultimately a deprivation of liberty. At this age, it is no longer possible for parental consent to act as a substitute for the valid and genuine consent of D himself. Instead, if there is to be a deprivation of liberty, then the correct process is to make use of the Mental Capacity Act, as the judge in the Court of Protection did here. To sum up this line of reasoning, Lady Hale noted that human rights law is about the relationship between an individual and the state. And in these proceedings, the deprivation of Dee's liberty was attributable to the actions of the state. Within that relationship, there is no scope for the parent to essentially swoop in and authorise the violation of this human right. However, before we finish up and move on to our analysis, it is important to mention that this was not a unanimous judgment and that the majority in the end was only three to two. Lord Carnworth gave the dissenting judgment and agreed with the approach that the Court of Appeal had taken. He noted that the legal basis for parental responsibility in respect of 16 and 17 year olds still exists in the common law and there is nothing in the legislation that detracts from this. I would imagine that there is a lot of sympathy for this minority position. After all, there is not explicit authority for absenting parental responsibility in this context, and doing so is a bit of a legal fiction. Nevertheless, it does make sense to not treat those who are 16 or 17 years old in the same way that you would treat a child who is 3, for example. Of course, in a perfect world, there would be a scale of gradation so that all children are treated according to their maturity, but that is not practical, and so the decision in Gillick is likely the closest that we will ever get to that. Linking this idea to the principle of liberty as set out in Article 5 is probably the point at which the majority judgment makes the most sense, though. The protection of liberty is a central tenet of the European Convention on Human Rights, and it is the most vulnerable who need that protection the most, even if they might not have the capability to understand that. The course of action taken by Dee's parents and the council were both caring and in his best interests, but made the mistake of ignoring his fundamental rights. The decision of the Supreme Court corrects this by ostensibly achieving the same result, but also offering Dee an added level of protection. Even though D is unlikely to ever appreciate this, the Supreme Court has set an important principle for future cases involving young people with disabilities. Here the justices have asserted that no matter your station in life, you are entitled to at least a minimum level of dignity and freedom. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. If you do get a chance to rate and review the podcast, either on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you actually use, then that is always very much appreciated and helps to spread the word about the issues that we are covering. Hope you enjoyed the episode and I will be back looking at another case next week. But for now, bye!